1: Well, hello there, my fellow wrong thinker. And welcome to the show. Hey, our program is brought to you in part today by Jeff Staple's Real Estate, also the Staple Turner Staple's Turner team at uh, Patriot Home Mortgage and our friends at Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. I'll be uh, giving a shout out to uh, each of these sponsors in the course of the show today. I am I'm well, I want to say I'm like a kid in a candy store except uh, what what what's catching my interest isn't exactly candy. It's more like I don't know it's more like bitter medicine but there is so much going on and so much that I want to share today I'm just having a tough time knowing where to start maybe it's you know overload ADD I don't know what it is but in no particular order uh, let me jump right in by by striking a note or a tone of defiance look I understand that people are concerned. I understand that, you know, especially the governors and people are concerned with, we want to make sure we're we're controlling the coronavirus, except they can't. The best they can do is encourage people to take precautions if they are at risk, but you're not going to hide from a virus. And a virus is most certainly not going to obey this dictate or that executive order. It's not even going to obey outright legislation. It's just not. It's a virus. So when I hear talk about, well, uh, they're encouraging us uh, to cancel Halloween and don't be handing out candy to the kids. I'm thinking, you know, if if we were talking about rounding up all the folks from the various nursing homes and taking them around house to house and someone handing them candy, you know, that would be ridiculous because it would it would expose them to risk. The kids. Come on. Not so much. I mean, we've we've become we've become this nation of of sickness psychotics where everybody has to, you know, put on the appearance of, oh, yes, I'm dressing like I'm about to go perform open heart surgery. I'm surprised we don't all walk around with our hands in the air like surgeons that just scrub them, you know, trying to avoid the germs. Somebody glove me up, put my gown on. I'm ready to go grocery shopping. We got the masks, right? I mean, come on, why not? Let's let's finish the ensemble. But here's the thing that really gets me, okay? Halloween, okay, you could maybe even make the case that, you know, all that sugar isn't really that healthy for the kids, and I'd probably agree with you. Even though I love to steal the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups from my kids as a dad tax when they come back from trick-or-treating. Sorry, but that's just one of those facts of life. I can't think of a better way to teach kids about taxes than to show them. Now, see, if we were government, this is how much of your candy I would take... (laughs) <laughs> for the privilege of, of you being part of my social contract anyway. But what about canceling Thanksgiving? What about uh, or not canceling? Um, we're being encouraged to forego gathering together as families for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Now, I know on the one hand, people are like, well, now, Brian, think about this. If you were exposed and you go and you go visit your 85-year-old mother and you could uh, conceivably take the virus to her completely unaware. And it's true. There is a, there's a risk in that. and it, And it weighs on me every time that I go to visit her. But... I'm looking around and I'm seeing all of these mass gatherings, these protests in the streets, uh, protests disguised as a celebration when the Lakers won the NBA championship. And we're being told all those mass protests in the street are just fine. Yeah, no problem. So, as a matter of fact, yes, it is asking too much for me to consider foregoing being with my family during the holidays. If it's okay for everybody to get together and protest in the streets with nary a bit of social distance between them, I'm sure my family's going to do just fine. Now, we may not be discussing the same politically correct topics. We, We might actually be focusing on important things like togetherness and what have you. But I'm sick and tired of the double standard. Brad Palumbo. Uh, had this tweet. He says, Sorry, no, I'm not giving up pie and gathering for my favorite holiday for COVID 19 after you all said mass protests in the streets, hashtag Black Lives Matter, were fine. Nope. I agree with them. And I'm not telling you what to do, but I am going to encourage you if there was ever a time to consider taking a defiant stand and doing What you feel is best, not what the governor is dictating, not what some health expert is dictating. I think they've pretty well discredited themselves. But they're so attached to the power, so attached to the idea that, oh, man, if we admit we were wrong, people are going to tar and feather us. Maybe. I don't know. Have you ever thought maybe you deserve it? Who knows? But at least something peaceful that you and I can do is assert our own autonomy our own self-determination weigh the risks if it's not worth it then don't do it but as for me and mine by gar we're going to celebrate the holidays and hope you have a great time as well (sighs) that felt good to get off my chest thank you thank you for indulging me (laughs) 801-331-8113 caller welcome to the show
2: hi how are you
1: i am well what's on your mind today kevin
2: Well, uh, first of all, it's great to be with you on the radio. I'm back up here in Montana. I wanted to talk about a couple things. Uh, I just barely tuned into your show, but you were talking about the best way to teach your kids about how government works is take their candy, take a certain percentage of candy or something. Yeah, the Uh, dad tax. The Halloween. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I've heard this analogy used another way, too. Um, What if you get an A-plus on a paper? Take away that A so you get a B plus. Take away those grades, and pretty soon, before you know it, you're going to be down to, what, a 2.5 GPA or something, Uh, not good enough for college. Uh, teach Teach students that. And then teach them loopholes to what they can do to hold on to some of that GPA. And teach them this is how government works.
1: No, that sounds like a great idea.
2: Yeah, and then uh, I want to talk about COVID-19. I just came back from Idaho, and I saw people, uh, I didn't spend any time with friends, just because certain people of mine, certain friends were sick, but I did spend some time with my sister's in-laws, and I think very highly of, and one of the, they were elderly, well, the mother-in-law of my sister didn't care that we were around her, but... Uh, My sister's father-in-law did have some respiratory issues, and he's, I think, 75 years old or something like that. So I did practice social distancing with him because I thought that was reasonable. He's elderly and has respiratory problems, and uh, her mother-in-law didn't care. I just want to bring this up to you, though. My family is so defensive. About the mask wearing, I, I hate to say this, I had to wear my mask wherever we went into a building just to go along to get along because I was not in a position to really fight them on this. I felt like was giving into the tyranny, but I didn't know what to do. The most I could felt like I could do is just not wear my mask in the airports when my family was not around.
1: Well, you got to pick and choose your fights carefully. So, Kevin, I would never criticize you and say, "Oh, you failed! You failed by wearing your mask." If it keeps the, sometimes keeping the peace, especially with family, um, is more important than being right. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, and then they just "Oh, if you don't wear the mask, I'm not taking you anywhere." Well, I'm blind; I can't see. So, I okay, you're gonna talk to me like a little kid. I've got to comply here. It was silly, but I had to do what I had to do to get along.
1: Well, I I admire you and I appreciate you for, for making the stand where and how you can. And, and I think you're yep. wise to, you know, choose carefully. Not not every hill is the hill we want to die on. But uh, but I, I just hope more people will think about where would I draw the line? You know, for me, the, the line is I won't, wear, I won't wear a mask at church. I just won't.
2: Yeah, and I would, too, uh, probably if, um, you know. But uh, I want to talk about Ammon real quick. um,
1: Okay, we got about one minute. Go ahead. Okay.
2: Um, I personally would not have done what Ammon did at the football game. However, I do admire his courage. What I would have done is probably just made a video about how silly this was after the game. But I have to admire uh, Ammon's courage. I was thinking today about a Tom Petty song, I won't back down. Ammon is the epitome to that Tom Petty song, whether you like him or not. I admire him Taking a stand at least.
1: If he had tried to force his way in or otherwise had tried to make a spectacle out of it, I would be a lot less supportive. But I think he took i think he took the high road. And when they said you can't come in here without yeah, he a mask, then I'll go then I'll go stand over here. And it was the authorities, the, the school district authorities, who pushed the issue and made it a big deal. Oh, and then ultimately have banned him from attending any uh, school events in the Caldwell School District or being on school property. What? You will not bend a knee to our will we ban you from our fiefdom that's uh, that's how little tyrants behave anyway kevin thanks for your call we'll be back just the other side of these messages
0: this is the brian hyde show This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: All right, welcome back to the show. Hey, our program today is brought to you in part by Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. Had the chance to stop in there yesterday, and uh, man, I'm telling you, if you are... uh if you've been shopping for meat, first of all, you're going to notice the prices, they've been considerable and and it, it doesn't seem to be getting a whole lot better. So, if if concern is, uh, you know, stretching your dollar as far as it will go in terms of, uh, you know, keeping the freezer filled, I would really strongly recommend Paul has got uh, he's got a walk-in freezer chock-full. Of all different kinds of meats, and I, I'm there's so much it's hard to even know where to describe where to begin describing it, but uh, you know lots of uh, lots of pork, beef, chicken. I mean, if you want to buy a forty pound box of uh, you know frozen chicken breasts, you can do that. Lots of uh, big pork roasts, ribs, pork loin, a brisket. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's, and you cannot find better prices than you will find at Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. He gets his food from food wholesalers. He passes the savings on to you. There's a very wide variety of canned goods, fresh produce, so much so. They take EBT. They take all the credit cards. Uh, they uh, offer a money-back guarantee, 100% money-back guarantee, no questions asked. Here's what you want to do. Jump on Facebook go to Nikki's wholesale food warehouse. If you want to really take a shortcut, go to the show notes at the Brian Hyde show.com. And at the bottom of the page, there's a link to Nikki's Facebook page. That's where you get the directions. This is going to be of most use for my listeners in and around uh, Northern Utah because they're located in Salt Lake city. Worth your time. Worth it. If you were trying to stretch your grocery budget, Nikki's wholesale food warehouse, let's see a couple other things I wanted to touch on here briefly. Um, I had the privilege yesterday of spending some time with a friend um, who is in law enforcement and uh, he and I spent some time cruising around in his uh, his patrol vehicle and just talking. And I I only want to offer this because I think this is a side of the whole uh, police versus the rest of us equation that, that people don't often get to see. And we went to a number of different places. I mean, he had errands to run. We had to run by the uniform place. He, had to, he was uh, purchasing one of his former service pistols, and so he went to go pick that up. And we did a little running around, stopped by Nicky's, you know, and just um, had an opportunity to, to go a lot of different places, ran into a lot of officers that he knew. And something that, uh, that I fear I don't mention enough most every person we ran into, at least everybody we did run into, was, was very down to earth. And when you talk about some of the things that uh, that are, we ask police to jump into and to fix, um, you know, you're, you're bringing different personalities to the table, obviously. But uh, I'm telling you, it's stuff you and I really wouldn't want to have to deal with. We see the abuses because cameras are ubiquitous and, you know, the, the, the video out there sure makes it look like, oh, my gosh, you know, they're, they're all against us. I just want to affirm, no, they aren't all against us. And you don't have to deal with, say, drunk, obnoxious or violent people on a daily basis. And there's nothing that will help impress, you, impress upon you um, the kind of situations that we expect them to take care of uh, quicker than, than seeing a situation like that and thinking, man, I'm glad I don't have to deal with that. So I'm not, a, I'm not excusing abuse. I'm not, to, I'm not trying to, to paint with a broad brush here. I, I want to affirm that there are good police officers out there. We need the good ones. Because the good ones have no, they have no tolerance for or love of the bad ones. But uh, I I just have to I have to tell you, my buddy is an exceptional guy, exceptional in the sense that he he's not one of those guys who has something to prove. You know, um, he he has verbal skills that uh, that put me to shame. I think I'm a pretty smooth talker, you know, in most instances. But I've never had to talk somebody out of wanting to assault me, you know, because they were drunk and they knew they were going to jail and figured, well, what the heck? I got nothing to lose. My might as well tune you up while I'm at it. So here's my recommendation, short and sweet. If you have the opportunity to attend what they call a Citizens Academy, I don't know how many, you know, sheriff's departments or police departments still put these on, do it. If you're, if you're very anti-law enforcement or anti-cop, it may not change your mind, but I promise you, you will come away with a much more realistic appreciation of what they do have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. And you'll also You'll also come away with a realization that uh, they're not the robotic, you know, authoritarian, you know, robocops that you might have thought. There's a lot of humanity behind that. And I'm grateful for those who go out there and, and really serve. And that doesn't mean that I'm not going to stop pushing for, you know, reforms. And I think that the biggest and most important reform is stop making everything a police matter. Stop making so many laws, especially stupid little criminal, you know, criminalizing stupid little things that never should have been the purview of law enforcement in the first place. Let them focus on actual crimes where there's an actual victim and help bring those people to justice. That's, that's a proper use of the state's authority, but there's a lot of other little stuff. We got to get that off the books. That's why I'm grateful for organizations like Libertas, that uh, that's what they do. They work on policy reform and they do a great job of helping strike that balance between the state's power and your rights and my rights and making sure that uh, they're not being ignored. And thus endeth our sermon. All right. Let me jump into a couple of other things here. I don't know about you. I got my, my ballot in the mail yesterday. My son got his, too. This is the first time he's going to be able to vote in a general election. And he is uh, he's excited. You know, he's like asking me, Dad, how do I go about filling this out? And, and so I'm excited to, to walk him through that process. I'm not going to tell him who to vote for. You know, he's asking advice, but, and, and I'm, but I'm not going to tell him, you know, this is who you should vote for. I'm telling him, here's the criteria that I look at as to whether or not someone is worthy of my vote. And really, for me, it's a pretty simple thing. It comes down to, you know, will they more likely protect what remains of my liberties or will they be looking to expand government at the expense of my liberties? If the answer is, you know, they're leaning towards expanding government at the expense of my liberties, I probably won't be supporting them. There is no perfect candidate, but that's, I think, a minimal threshold of where my support can go. But I have this concern. And it's it's because I've seen the lines already being drawn and and I'm seeing some interesting theories being floated around out there that this this election is already a foregone conclusion in the sense that it's going to be stolen. Let me put that another way. The losing side is going to claim that this election was stolen. And I think there's enough wiggle room that there could be some hanky panky. And I mean, either way. So the question here is, what can we do to get a reasonably honest election? And believe it or not, there is a there's an article out here. It's uh, this is actually titled, What Can We Do to Get a Reasonably Honest Election? It's from the Publius Hulda's blog, Understanding the Constitution. And I didn't realize there, there are different levels where we can turn for recourse in making sure that the elections are kept honest. The article here says a disaster of monumental proportions is likely ahead for our country if we don't take emergency action to get at least a reasonably honest election. Not just the president's seat, but also the entire U.S. House, the houses in the state legislatures, one third of the seats in the U.S. Senate, and a proportional number of seats in state senates. All of these are at stake in the upcoming election. So we need to face up to the problem and take immediate action. And I like how the author of this article starts... By asking the question, so what does Congress have constitutional authority to do? And they go through and list. You know, this is the vice president and president are elected under the procedures set forth in this article, in this subsection, and the 12th Amendment to the Constitution. But Congress still has constitutional authority to invoke Article 2, subsection 1, clause 4, which invests in Congress the power to determine the time of choosing the presidential electors and the day on which they vote. Now there's more to this and there's other levels where we can can have some effort undertaken for an honest election. We'll come back to it just the other side of these messages.
0: This is the Brian Hyde show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. So we're talking about uh,
1: what is the possibility? What can we do to get a reasonably honest election? I know, my hopes aren't super high. I mean, I'm looking at what's going on right now on social media And I cannot think of another time in my life where I have seen such a concerted effort. And I'm talking inside or outside of the press to spike a story, to try to roll back and and, and uphold this official narrative that there's nothing to see here with Joe Biden's son. Now, look, I don't spend all my time going after and consuming political news. And ooh, what does the Daily Tattler have to tell me? You know, Um, I know there's a lot of juicy information out there because there's some pretty corruptible people in politics. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of shady Shady stuff going on there, a lot of lasciviousness. But I do have a concern that uh, what's what's going to spark the next level of unrest in this country is going to be concerns that you can't trust the election system. I'm come on, you've heard the phrase before, you know. We have the soapbox, we have the ballot box, we have the cartridge box. You know, by which we can solve problems in this country, and of course, uh, by going to the soapbox and and uh, by you know voicing your your concerns and using free speech. That's one way to do it. The ballot box is another way to do it by casting your vote. We're going to talk about that, by the way. How democracy does not equal freedom. By democracy, meaning the election of public officials. But if you can't trust that uh, ballot box, if the ballot box has become hopefully or hopelessly uh, corrupted or compromised. I mean, given what we've seen over the last few months, uh, there's already people reaching for the cartridge box. That's not something I want to see, but there there we are. The options are dwindling. So the first question asked in this article, this is from Publius Holda blog. What, Congress, what does Congress have constitutional authority to do? And one of the things that it points out here is Congress has the power to determine the time of choosing the presidential electors and the day on which they vote. And that date is currently set for November 3rd, 2020. Now, Congress can make laws determining the times, places and manner of holding federal elections to Congress. And since we know already we've seen Trump ballots tossed into dumpsters and election offices flooded with fake Biden ballots, the best course of action, this article says, would be for Congress to make a law rescheduling the November 3rd election to a later date and canceling everything which has been done so far respecting the election, at least since the primaries. Congress could then exercise its constitutional authority to establish common sense procedures respecting the time, place, and manner of voting in the upcoming elections. For example, Congress could pass a law providing that every registered voter who wants to vote must physically appear at his officially designated place of voting and produce proof of identity. Election day should be one day, not weeks and months before and after the date set for the election. And absentee voting should be restricted to those who are out of the country or out of state, due to military service, service in the diplomatic corps, missionaries stationed overseas, overseas rather, businessmen stationed overseas, and so forth. That's how we used to do it. But then the Marxists came in with their hard-luck stories about, hey, these requirements are harsh, and they're unfair, and discriminatory, and so forth. So our side, as usual, caved in and went along with the demands which stripped us of the ability to have even reasonably honest elections. But because Marxists now control the House, Congress lacks the ability to act as was just suggested. So what does the Supreme Court have constitutional authority to do to do? Well, Article one, subsection four, clause one provides that the power to set the times, places and manner of voting in federal elections is delegated exclusively to the legislative branches of the state and federal governments. Accordingly and consistent with the principle of separation of powers and the political question doctrine, the judicial branches of state and federal governments have no lawful authority to substitute their views on these issues for their legislative branches. That's pretty clear. Now, even so, with respect to the upcoming elections... With respect to the upcoming elections, lawless federal and state judges have been usurping power by substituting their views, respecting the times, places and manner doctrine or manner of voting for the views of the state legislatures. Some of the judges are ruling that because of COVID-19, while voters shouldn't be required to go to the polls, everyone should be allowed to vote by mail. And the time for counting ballots needs to be extended. Now, obviously, the Supreme Court has no constitutional authority to substitute their views respecting the times, places and manner of voting for those of legislative bodies. Instead, its duty is to issue orders and judgments which adhere to what the Constitution says. So the the remedy here is the Supreme Court should overturn the usurpacious orders of state and federal judges who attempted to usurp power over this issue. They should remind the people of our country that only the state legislatures and Congress may address these issues. The judges must keep their hands off because the power isn't given to the judicial branches. Now, there's more to this, but I want to move on because there's one final question, which is what should the state governments do? And in this author's opinion, state governments may be the only way to salvage, at least to some extent, the upcoming election. Since the judicial branches of the state and federal governments have no constitutional authority to change the decisions of the legislative branches, respecting the times, places and manner of federal elections, state governments should instruct the election officials for their state that they must obey and enforce the election laws passed by their state legislature and not the usurpacious orders of judges. Judges have no constitutional authority to change what the state legislatures do on this issue. Election officials should be also be shown that judges have no power to enforce their orders and judgments. They depend on the executive branches of the federal or state governments to enforce them. And the article says we're doomed if Americans remain unable to grasp this simple concept. Interesting. Interesting. I'll have a link to this in the show notes. You can check it out for yourself. Go to the thebryanhideshow.com. You want the show notes for October 15th. By the way, let's talk for a moment about the difference between democracy and freedom. Jacob Hornberger says, with the presidential election nearing, it's important to remind ourselves of an important fact, one that Democrats and Republicans and their supporters in the mainstream press fail to realize. Democracy is not freedom. Democracy enables people to elect public officials, that's all. That's in contrast to countries that are ruled by people that are not democratically elected, such as kingdoms or militarily controlled regimes. But the right to elect one's government officials doesn't guarantee a free society. Freedom is determined by the powers wielded by the government. If the government's powers are limited to their legitimate function, then the people in that society will be free. And that's true whether government officials are democratically elected or not. In other words, theoretically, an unelected regime could result in a freer country than a democratically elected one. An unelected regime, for example, could implement a free market economic solution or system, while a democratic one could implement a welfare state managed economy system. Or an unelected regime could establish a system with a small military and no CIA or NSA while an elected regime could establish a national security state. I mean, the proof is all around us. The only real benefit, he says, of a democratic system is that the people can peacefully change public officials, especially when there is a change in overall philosophies within society. With unelected regimes, the only way to change officials is through revolution, which can be costly in terms of life, property, and money. Now, Jacob Hornberger says there's something else that is important that Democrats and Republicans and the mainstream press are sometimes or oftentimes unaware of. Democracy can actually be a grave threat to liberty. In fact, the Bill of Rights was designed specifically to protect the country from democracy. Consider, for example, the rights enumerated in the First and Second Amendments. Even if 99% of the American people and 99% of the members of Congress wish to enact a law requiring everyone to send their children to church, they lack the power to do so. No democracy there. The rights of the 1% who oppose being forced to send their children to church are protected. The idea is that freedom means that people's fundamental rights are not subject to majority vote. Notice something else that's important, something even libertarians sometimes forget. There's a critical difference between a government that's prohibited from wielding certain powers and a government that wields such powers but is exercising them in a wise and prudent manner. For example, the federal government doesn't enact laws requiring children to send their ch- school or rather people to send their children to church simply because it believes it's unwise or imprudent to do so. And it doesn't enact such laws because it lacks the power to do so. The Constitution and Bill of Rights prohibit the federal government from wielding such power. That's what freedom requires. Now consider the coronavirus. He says there are many libertarians carping and complaining that the government is not exercising its powers over health care in a wise and prudent manner. They're saying the government should have done this or that, and it shouldn't have done this or that. But he says that mindset is not a freedom mindset. That is the mindset that undergirds freedom of religion. The freedom mindset holds that government shouldn't have the power to manage, control or regulate health care at all just as it lacks the power to manage, control, or regulate religion. He says if we're to achieve a free society, it's incumbent on us to lift our visions and the visions of our fellow Americans to a higher level, rather than simply calling on the government to exercise illegitimate powers wisely and prudently.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: All right. Welcome back to the show. 801-331-8113 if you would like to weigh in. I don't know if you're nervous about, you know, the upcoming election uh, like like I am. And, and, again, I'm not all invested in, you know, it's going to save us or it's going to sink us. I, I don't know. I think that there's uh, there's a lot of possibilities. I do see it being a catalyst for whatever comes next. And that does feel a little bit ominous, even as I say that. But, uh, you know, maybe it'll bring something good. I don't know. I'm trying to be an optimist here. I'm also trying to be prepared (laughs) and just make sure that uh, that, uh, you know, I've got my, my ducks in a row, by the way. Um, one of the things I found very interesting is the, the surge in, in, you know, polling results. And I've, I've talked with a number of friends in the last couple of weeks who have said, man, I just don't know what to think. You know, the polls seem to show that Joe Biden's got this thing sewed up after the debate, after the, the first debate. I don't think there's going to be another one as, uh, as James R Harrigan pointed out, he goes, yeah, Trump won't agree to a virtual debate because he's not going to agree to letting anybody have their finger on the mute button. You know, he doesn't want to be muted. So it's, it's not going to happen again. But um, Trump took a bit of a hit, according to some polls, you know, following that uh, that debate with Joe Biden. And so people are asking, you know, what is it? What is this portend? Does he really have, you know, that that kind of a, a lead? And is, are people really so tired of Trump? And for the record, I really don't think Trump is is the incompetent buffoon and monster that people have made him out to be. I think in in some ways he's actually been a slightly better than average president than than some of his predecessors. If only for the reason he has not gutted what remains of the Constitution, as some of his predecessors have done, and as those who are wishing to succeed him would like to do. But I'm I'm trying to keep in mind, as I hear all the talk about, well, you know, but the polls are saying this or the polls are saying that. The polls were saying that Hillary had it in the bag right up until she lost the election in 2016. Which means I don't think you can trust the polls as much as as some people seem to think you can trust them. By the way, I have a link to a a story in the show notes. Uh, This is from uh, W. Joseph Campbell, the exceptional catalog of American polling failures. And it's quite a list. So my advice is don't take the polls too seriously. If you're going to vote, vote. But I'm also going to caution you. If you're putting your faith in, uh, boy, we're going, to, we're going to solve the problem here, it's probably not going to be solved. I think we're, we're actually at the point where I'm thinking divine intervention may be the, the solution that we're looking for. Which raises a whole new series of questions. So what are we doing that, uh, that might help something like that happen? Let's go to the phone caller. Welcome to the show. Brian? Hello there.
3: Yes, I appreciate it. Uh, Brian, this is a very crucial election. This may be as important as Trump is saying, uh, the most important ever. We have, not in Biden, but in uh, Kamala Harris, we have a communist. Out and out communist. That would be a very big difference from any other election that we've had. And no, you cannot trust the polls, not just because of 16, but uh, just the fact that, uh, as Rush Limbaugh is pointing out, the one poll, Brian... Uh, The question that Gallup asked last has never been wrong since its inception. The last question is, who do you think will win? And that, of course, people say, oh, it's 57 to 40 in favor of Trump. Why? Because that's where they don't have to commit themselves, but their neighbors and friends and uh, what's going on. So um, anyway, uh, that's that's, uh, where it's at uh, with that. So what I'm getting at is that the polls are wrong, uh, as they usually are, And I think enough people are getting the word that this is a a communist um, possible coup here. Uh, We do have the young who are stupid and ignorant right now due to the deliberate dumbing down of America. Uh, That we cannot, but I think we have enough numbers with people um, in the uh, uh, above 30 bracket. And we have even a percentage of minorities right now ready to come in. So um, uh, with the the, the vote. So I think we've got this one. And then it's just a matter of uh, if we can, if Donald Trump can go ahead and do everything that he set out to do uh, after the last election. But, yes, we are on the ropes and we are on the brink.
1: Okay, thank you so much for weighing in. I, you know, I don't want to sound like I am, you know, I, I don't want to sound condescending when I say this. I am more worried about my friends who are really diehard Trump supporters if... For some reason, Trump does not uh, win on November 3rd. I think I'm more concerned about the, the, the mental health, the, the spirit of uh, my fellow freedom lovers. than, than I am about, uh, you know, the, the celebrating that, uh, you know, the Biden and the, the Harris supporters are going to be doing. Um, I have no doubt. I have no doubt that there are those and not just Democrats, but Republicans alike who at the federal level are working to consolidate power. Yes, they're loyal opposition and yes, they're, they, they you know, growl at each other and, and pretend we're fighting the good fight against this implacable foe. But really what it comes down to is both of the parties at the national level do very little to concern themselves with whether the power that they seek to exercise is legitimately theirs to exercise at all. Their biggest beef is whether it's, you know, how much are we going to get to exercise? What? We have to sit back for the next two years or the next four years and only have a portion of what we thought we would have? Oh, well, but see, they still got they still have power. Immense power that was never meant to be theirs. I think one of the big flashpoints we're going to see in the months or possibly weeks ahead is if you see a Democratic victory. I can almost guarantee that the next immense push that you're going to see, and it's going to be breakneck speed, is to somehow create legislation that will legally disarm as many Americans as possible. I mean, come on. The writing's on the wall. How many millions of guns have been sold this year? Have you tried to buy ammo lately? It ain't there. It's been snapped up. People know That the the power grab, it's getting to the point where someone is going to want to consolidate power, and and that means they're going to have to make a harsh move to try to disarm as many people as possible. I don't know what happens at that point, but there's also a great article here. I'm going to share this uh, in the show notes as well, how to learn from tech reformers and make gun rights a populist issue. Now, the state of the Second Amendment, this article says, is a barometer for the strength that individual Americans have in relation to their government. Civilian disarmament would weaken millions of Americans culturally, economically, and politically. And it asks the question, so why do so many wish to gut the Second Amendment against their best interests? The principles of the Constitution are too easily eroded by a constantly expanding list of restrictions, we're assured, only apply to criminals and gun controls presented as a way to improve our quality of life through simple, unobtrusive laws. So you have things like magazine capacity is limited because only criminals need standard capacity. Silencers have to be heavily regulated because those are tools for assassins. AR variants have to be banned because only murderers use them. And many Americans yield, well, I'm not a bad guy, so if this limits the harm that bad guys can do, then it really isn't a restriction on me. The author here says Americans are both principled and practical, hallmarks of our culture, often at odds. At this crossroads, the Second Amendment gets pinned and trimmed. Arguing that the Second Amendment shall not be infringed doesn't stand a chance against appeals for gun control that seem practical. And so reclaiming these powers that have been whittling away at the Second Amendment requires us to seize the opportunity presented by our current populist movement. Now, populism, in case you're wondering, is the self-conscious resistance to the ruling class by the politically, financially, and culturally disenfranchised. Americans may not be ready to pinpoint specifics, but they do recognize that power has been concentrated in a few institutions and social classes that somehow seem immune from economic, cultural, and political consequences. A good example of using the populist appeal is the effort to reform big tech, which includes many of the online platforms we all use every day, like Google and Facebook. Now, the debate on big tech isn't on the merits of their platforms, but the control they exercise against individuals and throughout society. Now, here, I have to warn you, populism can be a not very good thing. If you are clamoring for government to come in and regulate these big tech companies... You are setting the stage for government to be the arbiter and the controller of information. So you got to choose wisely. Populism, in in some ways, is an attractive thing. Yeah, because those are the people we can rise up and we can we can make things happen. But sometimes the people can be stampeded into something that they really shouldn't. So this is the this is where it becomes so critical to know what are the principles and practices of liberty, of private property, of free markets, of freedom of conscience. And if you struggle, if you would struggle to even define those terms to, you know, the people closest to you, a friendly audience, maybe it's time to crack a few books, you know, spend a little less time arguing online and get your mind around those concepts. Just a thought. I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not personally willing to do myself. But I think time is short, so let's get on it.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show.